Hey, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is David Storn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Welcome to our very last outdoor service. You can tell it is cold, and so we are ready to go inside. And as excited as we are to get inside, let me just acknowledge, it's been a great blessing for us to be outside this summer. We, we really are so thankful to that. And we're grateful to the Spring Lake Park School District, too, for letting us meet outside. So thank you to them as well. Um, but like I said, we are really pumped. We're excited to get back into our regular space where we've been for 10 years on next week. So next Sunday when you come, we will be inside. We're pumped to open up our renovation kids classes on next Sunday. And you can find all the, if you have any questions on that, you can find all the details and more on our kids classrooms, all the things about going inside on the homepage of our website. Uh, as I have been saying for weeks, when we move inside next Sunday, uh, we are going to be social distancing. We're going to be wearing masks. Uh, we're going to be watching occupancy numbers. We want to do this well. Uh, there's going to be an overflow room uh, in the cafeteria. We'll stream the service in case we feel like there are too many people in the gym because we're going to spread everybody out. And then that room will double as a family viewing area. So if you're not putting your younger kids into the Renovation Kids classroom, they can sit with you in the cafeteria as well. If you are vulnerable or you have a virus uh, concerns, or even in the weeks to come, if you just are feeling kind of a tiny bit sick, we're just going to ask that you just take extra caution over the next couple of months and that you would just stay home because we'll, during this time, we're still going to offer our service live online every Sunday morning. For those of you, uh, there's a ton of you here today who have been able to come in person uh, week after week over the last a couple months or so. You know, I just want to say one of the best things about so many of us being here on a Sunday is that not just the church service, but it's the conversations that we get to have before and after. Because we're church. The church is a body. It's a body of friends who encourage each other. And I just want to say, as we move inside, we still want to be able to do that. But we just we want to take some precautions in doing that as well. And so we're going to encourage you when you're inside not to kind of clog the hallways next week because the hallways aren't that massive and we still want to be able to social distance. So we're going to encourage you to talk to each other a lot, but to do so kind of in that cavernous gym or in the cafeteria or better yet, just after the service, head outside. You can talk to each other. You don't have to wear your mask then when you're talking to each other. So still talk to each other, but just be cognizant of of your surroundings as well. And finally, before I get into the message, let me just say one last thing about masks. I know a number of you here, uh, you, you maybe don't love them. And maybe in your mind, you've been hesitating on if you're going to come inside uh, next week because you know that masks are going to be required the whole time. If that's you, and I know that's probably at least a few of you, my challenge to you is this. Don't let your opinions on the issue stop you from coming to worship God next week. It may, it may not be your ideal way to worship, but please don't let that stop you from worshiping the king. Uh, last month, I met a uh, pastor who uh, came to Christ when he was living in the country of Turkey. And when he came to Christ, he quickly became a part of the underground church there. And he was telling us that every week, 20 or 30 of them would meet in somebody's house in secret for church, for worship. He just said... It, it was far from ideal, far from their personal preference on how they wanted worship to look. For one, you know, 30 people crammed into a house. It was hot. There weren't enough chairs. They sang with all their hearts, but they had to be careful because they couldn't sing too loudly because if they sang too loudly, then they would get caught as a church and get in trouble with the authorities. But they didn't let their ideals or their preferences stop them from coming to worship their Savior on a Sunday morning. 
God was still worthy of their worship, and he is still worthy of yours, even if the circumstances aren't ideal, okay? All right. All right, let's get into our message. We are in the final week now of our Disrupted series, and I've got a challenging word for you this morning. It is a hard one, but I think it is so good. It is so needed. One of the main reasons I wanted to do this series is because I and, and many of my pastor friends with me are concerned about the spiritual state of our sheep. Uh, we feel like a, a spiritual apathy has crept into our American churches. And not just an apathy, but a reordering of priorities. Instead of months and months and months of isolation have turned so many of us inward. And we've begun to sort of normalize me first behavior without even recognizing that we're doing it. I think basically what happened is, you know, for a lot of us, we watched online services for a long time, for months into the spring into the summer. Again, I'm not talking about those of you who are vulnerable, but for all of us here, and for most of us, that just knocked us right out of our normal spiritual habits. And as I spoke on a few weeks ago, it's really hard to get back into a habit of something when you get knocked off of it. And I talked to a lot of people who've sort of basically told me this story over the last couple months. A number of people have said, here's what happened in our family. They said, at the beginning, every week, we would just watch church online. Sunday, 10 o'clock, that's just what we did. And eventually, we kind of got busy as more things started to come back. And what we would do is we'd say, you know, I can't really squeeze it in this morning, Sunday morning, so we're just going to watch it like later in the week. And then we did that for like three or four or five weeks. And then eventually, we still got busier yet, and I don't know what happened. We just eventually stopped watching and we stopped coming. That's been the story of so many of our people this spring into the summer. And what happens then is, as so many of us stop going to church, then our other spiritual habits, like Bible reading, prayer, Christian fellowship, started to go by the wayside too. And the biggest fallout from all that is, is what I want to talk about today, is we stopped seeking God first. And for a lot of us, that's left us anxious and angry and unfulfilled. But God has called you to seek him first. Uh, if you uh, have our app, I want you to open up the Renovation Church app. should be right. I know the lyrics were kind of wrong this morning. Apologies about that. But if you go to Outdoor Services and uh, Weekly Verses, you should be able to see our text in there for this morning. Uh, we're going to look at just one verse today. Is it that powerful and there's that much in it? Are these the words of Jesus uh, from his famous Sermon on the Mount? It's from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look right at verse 33 if you're trying to find it, if you brought a Bible. So Matthew six thirty-three. Some context on this. Uh, Jesus is telling the people who are listening that they don't need to be so focused about all of their worries and all of their anxieties about life. In fact, he said they should just do this. And this is Matthew six thirty-three. So listen very carefully. So important. I'm going to read it twice to you. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all the things they're worrying about will be given to you as well. I'll read it again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well if you're seeking first the kingdom of God. So you're to seek first his kingdom. That means you are to live to your uttermost ability as if God is king. And that's what it means when it says seeking his kingdom. To put God first. To seek his righteousness means that in the way that you live and how you seek to live as a holy person and your decisions and seeking justice and godliness and holiness, that you would seek God's righteousness above your own pleasure, comfort, desires, whatever that may be. So what does that actually look like, though? Like, how do you do that? How do you put God first? And not only 
first, but how do you bring God in firstly to all the other things in your life? Your, your career, your, your schedule, your family, your hobbies. If we are to seek God first, how do we do that? I want to give you a number of examples today. Uh, in fact, I'm going to start with the story of John Wanamaker. I don't know if you ever heard of John Wanamaker, but he was a very famous uh, businessman of the late 1800s. Wanamaker started this uh, department store that eventually became a really successful department store chain. And uh, he was also a pioneer in marketing. He was the first guy to ever take out a full-page ad uh, for a, a business. But on top of that, he was eventually named the Postmaster General for the United States. And he did both of those things on once. And even more fascinatingly, thirdly, he was also the superintendent of the Bethany Presbyterian Sunday School in Philadelphia, which at that time was the largest Sunday school in the world. And the guy did all three of those things at the same time. And somebody was once interviewing him and they said, Mr. Wanamaker, how is it possible that you can hold all three of those positions at the same time? And he said this, he said, early in life, I read this really important verse. He said, it says this. Now he's speaking in King James because it's the 1800s. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And he said, now listen, the Sunday school, the doing of God's work, teaching people about the Lord. He said, I want you to know that is my business. And everything else is just all of these things that shall be added unto me. In fact, uh, one evidence of his desire to always seek the Lord first was this, this man, he was basically the CEO of his company. He built in his first department store, he built a soundproof room. And every day he would go into the soundproof room and he would spend 30 minutes studying God's word and seeking the Lord. He sought God first and God took care of the rest. But here's the thing. If you're going to seek God first, God actually has to be first. Like, okay, if you just went out on the street and you started grabbing random Christians to poll them and you said, hey, I've got a question for you. What is it in your life that you seek first? What do you think most people are going to say? We're going to say, oh, God, I, God, I seek God first. But yet I feel like the evidence found within their schedules, within their bank accounts, within their family, if you were to watch their family, would actually give you a totally different answer. Or you can think of it this way. If somebody asked you to prove that God was first in your life, would you be able to show them the evidence that he actually is? Let's talk through some examples of really practical here of what it looks like to put God first. I want to start with schedules. So we're going to start really concrete and then we're going to get more abstract and a bit philosophical. Schedule is a really concrete way to seek God first, right? And I feel like I don't know enough Christians anymore that actually seek God first in their schedule. Honestly, too many of us do this, right? It's like we live our lives, we go about our normal days, and then we get to the very end of our day and God often gets our leftovers. You know what I mean? It's like you're lying in bed. You think, well, I haven't talked to the Lord yet today. I'm really tired. I got like 60 seconds before I fall asleep. Maybe I'll open my Bible or maybe I'll just sort of whisper a prayer as I drift off to sleep. But if you truly want to seek the kingdom of God first, that means when you make your schedule for the day, and you write it in your, I don't know what you use, your iPhone or your puppy calendars or whatever works for you, 
the, the very first thing that you would block out would be your time for God. Now, that doesn't mean that he has got to be the first thing you do, because for some of you, seeking God is maybe better at lunchtime or at nighttime. But the first thing, the cornerstone thing that you would put into your schedule would be you meeting with the Lord. And then that you would let nothing else touch that, nothing else interrupt that. You would schedule everything else around that as seeking God first every day in your schedule. Uh, here's another important schedule example. Uh, and I think this is something that has drastically changed, especially in the last 30 years. But I would say even in the last five years, there's been a ton written about this. The, the frequency in which American Christians attend church has almost fallen off a cliff, not in 50 years, but in f- almost five to 10 years. And it's directly because of this principle. So for example, think about Sunday mornings. What most American people who call themselves Christians do on Sundays is we seek first. Now, I want you to just think about your calendaring. What we seek first are our soccer tournaments or athletic events. And so we go through, okay, well, the kids got this tournament and that's going to go on to Sunday. And if you had your calendar, you put all of those into the calendar first. You say, we made a commitment to that. It's kind of a priority. Those Sundays are for soccer, ballet, basketball, hockey, you name it, right? Those go in. And then we go, okay, we got a couple family birthday parties and you kind of put those in on the other Sundays. You got those in. I'm going to need a couple Sundays in the spring kind of for spring cleanup. In the fall, I'm going to need a full weekend to do kind of do the leaves. I'm going to need a couple of weekends to just kind of sleep in. And then the average American who goes to church with the 15 to say 20 Sundays that they have remaining, then pencil in God. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's how we live. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that approach. All throughout the New Testament, you see this language where Christians are supposed to give their first fruits. You see this in the Old Testament as well. Their first fruits to God. So, for instance, in the olden days, when a farmer had his harvest, the harvest would come in, and the very first thing they would do, the first fruits, the very first portion, before they did anything else, went to the Lord. And then the rest, they divvied up to all of the other things. Right? Christians that weren't farmers, they were to give the first fruits a tithe, the 10% of their money went to the Lord and the Lord's work, and then the rest, they divvied up the other things. They were to give the first day of their week, Sundays, to the Lord, and then the rest was divvied up among the other things. Now, if you... Uh, were alive 50 years ago. I know some of you were, many of you weren't. You know that this was significantly easier to do in America 50 years ago because the culture at large respected Sundays and the time around Sundays. But now in our culture in 2020, even in 2010, right, this is just all but evaporated, that sort of culture. And so Christians are really being put to the test. Do we seek first the kingdom of God or do we seek first all of these other things? And then God gets the rest. The question for you is, does God get your first fruits or does God get your leftovers? For a lot of us, I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd have to answer, he gets our leftovers. He gets what's left. We seek first other things. That's a concrete way to look at it. Let's move a little bit abstract. And this is just as important. This is where we're moving into seeking first his righteousness, that you would seek God in the way you live and the decisions you make and the actions that you take. So here's what this means. It means like 
when you've got a decision to make, maybe it's a decision in your relationship, a decision at home, maybe it's a decision at work, and it's a hard one. And you know that honestly, if you just told a little white lie, it would go better for you. You know that if you just kind of cheated the system a little bit, you'd make a whole lot more money. We are called as Christ followers to seek God first. That his way of doing things would actually be the first filter that you would run your decision-making through. But for a lot of us, what we run our decision-making first through is, well, what's going to be best for me? Or what will make me the most money? What will advance my career the most? What will make me the most friends? What will make me happy? But we seek first God's righteousness when we make decisions because we are Jesus' first word of God people. But a lot of us, if you are totally honest with yourself, I'm not talking, I'm putting on my nice Christian face and I'm trying to pretend to be a good, I'm saying if you are totally honest with yourself, a lot of us, we don't want to live like that. We don't want to seek God first in all of our decisions. But I am going to give you a warning from God's word. And I want you to heed this. If you only give God your leftovers, if you only seek God when it's convenient, you will never see much change at all in your life. And you certainly won't see much blessing. Uh, Henry Drummond, who's a scientist and a theologian, uh, once had this famous quote while he was speaking to young college students. And he said this, he said, gentlemen, I beseech you, seek the kingdom of God first or not at all. And then he said this, this is a famous part of the quote. He said, I promise you a miserable time in life if you seek it second. That is so true. Giving God the lukewarm leftovers of your life will not satisfy God and it certainly won't satisfy you. So why is it that so many of us, we just put God like second, third, or fourth in our life? We give him our leftover time, money, talents, you name it. I will tell you exactly why. I think for so many of us, we give him our second, third, or fourth because we have misjudged his value. We do not understand the greatness of God. We've determined... There's no other answer for this. We've determined that the things that we've put in front of him are more valuable and they are more worth our time. Why else would we put them in front of God? You know, Jesus speaks on this in Matthew chapter 13. He speaks of the immense value of the kingdom of God that's living as if God were king of your life. So look at Matthew chapter 13 now, verse, verse 44. Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven it's like the kingdom of God. There's sort of in interchangeable phrases in the New Testament. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. See, this buried treasure was worth infinitely more than this man owned. It's infinitely more than all of his possessions. So he sold literally everything he had so he could get that field. And in getting that field, he now had infinitely more. That's what Jesus wants you to know. If you, if, okay, if you take a risk 
and you start living like God is first in your life, in your decisions, in your schedule, in your time, in everything, if you take a risk and start doing that, it's actually going to feel a bit crazy to you at first. It'll feel like you're kind of like selling all your stuff like that guy. You'll be dying to yourself, to your fleshly desires, as the Bible says. The world might look at you even as kind of odd. Like, don't you think they probably looked at that guy odd who said, oh, I'm selling all my stuff because I'm going to buy this random field. They're like, you have lost your mind. People are going to look at you like that. But oh, the returns. The returns from following Christ with all of your heart will be so much greater than anything this world can give you. And certainly they will be greater than having one foot over in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. You know what that'll do? That will rip you apart. It's just exactly what Drummond said. Giving God your lukewarm leftovers will make you absolutely miserable. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, it's incredible. And this is how we reprioritize our lives around Jesus. We remember the infinite value and reward of who God is. We remember just how much our God loves us. He saw all of your sin, and yet he sent his son to die for you. That he's seen all of the messiness of your life, and yet he has promised you eternal salvation. And here's the deal. I don't want you to miss this. You cannot guilt yourself into this. Okay, so you, you can't leave here today and say, oh, I just keep putting God second or third. You know what? Shame on me. What am I doing? I'm now I'll put him. It will, that will never work. Uh, Timothy Keller says this a lot. He says, the, it's one of my favorite quotes. From him. The only way that you supplant idolatry in your heart is by replacing it by something you love more. Not by guilting yourself, by remembering and working on your love relationship with Jesus, that's what replaces and reorders your priorities, not guilt or shame. I'm sharing this message with you this morning, not just for God's glory, but for your own good. Because if you trust God, there went my message, that's hello. If you trust God, what will happen? We're not going to lose a speaker, are we? No? Okay. Um, If you trust God, then he will take care of all those other things. Uh, Let me give you a a really concrete example of this. Over the last uh, few years, we've worked with just a number of different companies as we've been working on this building process. And so we've worked with uh, architects and realtors and lawyers and banks and general contractors. And one of the groups that we've just really loved working with uh, is BJ Boss. They're our our general contractor. They oversee the construction of of our building. Now, I want to tell you about a meeting that we had uh, last fall. Uh, We were meeting with, uh, in our church office basement, there's about 15 or 20 people in this meeting. Most of our staff was there, our our building team, our architects, our general contractor, BJ Boss, some of our AV people. It was a huge, huge meeting. And this this meeting was kind of like August, September-ish of last year. So it was actually a few months before we had our miraculous harvest giving. You remember that? When we were seeking to have $210,000 in pledges and yet $443,000 were pledged. So at that time, we were actually trying to cut a few hundred thousand dollars out of the building so we could still build the building. So it was an intense meeting. And then in the meeting, a dispute arose about a $10,000 item, a power panel. And at the previous meeting that we were in, this $10,000 item was listed as something that was included in our contract with BJ Boss. And now at the meeting we were in, it was listed as something extra 
that the church was supposed to pay. And that's actually technically how it should have been listed. They just made a mistake and said it was in the contract at the previous meeting. But I didn't know that at the time. And so in the meeting, I got everybody's attention and I just very sternly just spoke up and said, listen, we need to communicate better. This is a $10,000 item. And then Brian Boss, who's the owner of BJ Boss, our general contractor, he, he spoke up and he said, listen, you know what? We made a mistake. We listed it wrong. Uh, we'll just pay the $10,000 out of our own pocket. And the people in the meeting literally gasped. <laughs> oh, <they're> like, <gasps> and I, I spoke up and I said, listen, you don't have to do that. And he said, we will, because we want to show you that we value honesty and integrity, and we want to do things right. So I called him the next day. It was really difficult to do because I didn't want to. And I said, listen, you don't really have to do that because I kind of wanted him to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just showing my, my sinful heart right now. But I said, listen, you don't really have to do that. And he said, you know what? We do. If we want to be honest, we want to work with integrity, we will. And there are a number of members of our building team. We have a really talented building team. Many of them work in the industry who just called me up and they said, you know, what? I have never seen that in my life. I mean, most companies will bend over backwards to get $10 back, let alone $10,000. But here's the thing, and I want you to know this. For those of you that you own your own business, and none of you that you do, you own a restaurant, you have a number of employees, here's what I want you to hear. Their company, BJ Boss, is exploding with growth right now. Right? Even though they did the hard thing. They said, you know what, we'll just eat this money. They did the hard thing, and their company is exploding with growth. Because it turns out, people like to work with honest people who tell the truth and live with integrity, Right? And all they're doing is they're just trying to honor God. They're trying to, in all, it's a Christian company. They're trying to seek God first in everything they do. But as they honor God, he is honoring them. So I just implore you, seek God first in everything. Your schedule, your time, your family, your conversation, even your business dealings, everything. Because God's ways are right and they work. Seek God first and all the other things will be given unto you. Let me pray. Jesus, uh, we, we ask that we would be a church that seeks you first above all things, all things, God. May we trust in your ways. May we trust that they are right and they are wise. God, that even though sometimes they seem hard, may we trust that they are better and they are good. We just thank you for your wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen.